Before we dive into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you love listening to this show, please take a second and leave a review. It'll help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. Thanks. Right out of college, I started applying everywhere. Uh, I got hired into a place fairly quickly, and it was one of those things I took the job with the mindset, like, this is my first job to just get experience on my resume and kind of go from there. I knew it wasn't going to be a forever thing for me. It just seemed like a good fit at first. So I was there about a year and a half, um, and I started looking elsewhere just because I knew that it wasn't something that was long-term for me, and I felt like I had kind of outgrown myself there. This is Gwen. Gwen worked as an accountant at a large insurance company before deciding to make a switch into something that would help her develop professionally in her career. Um, so I started applying one of the third places I applied to. I got an immediate callback. Um, so I did a phone interview first, and then I went in for an in-person interview. When I went in for the in-person interview, it was with the person that I would directly report to and then her supervisor. So I went in for the interview and everything was super smooth, super easy. I didn't like, I wasn't like overly nervous. I felt like I was able to talk my way through everything and. They really emphasized on the fact that they were a family-owned business and that they were all about personalities with people and how you would fit into their culture and what they felt like should be the vibe of the business. Fitting into a box was important to this company. Gwen would soon find that the people here had no depth and no genuine desire to support her or her career. They knew what to say and how to say it but their actions and lack of accountability would contradict their words. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived a highly toxic work experience only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. So when you walk into their facility, immediately you're like, wow, this place is amazing. The artwork that they have on the walls, they have a huge gymnasium that they let all their employees hang out in. I feel like they try really hard to emphasis on the work-life balance. Like, we want this place to be fun. Like, we don't want you to feel like you're coming to work and stressing out. We want it to be, you know, like a second home to you. So I very much got that vibe walking in. And even in the interview, as calm as they were and like just laid back talking with me, it seemed that way as well. And then towards the end of the interview, they said that it was typical for them to do three interviews, a phone interview with the HR person, The second interview would be with your direct supervisor. And then the third interview would be with the president of the company. So because the company is family owned and there's three branches of it, each brother and then the dad has a piece. So they made it clear that I would be interviewing with the president of the company I would be working for and then the CFO as well. And then they asked how I felt about micromanaging And if I came from a place like that, and I thought it was really weird, I remember thinking like, oh, what? Like, I don't know how to respond to this best. And I feel like I said something like, you know, at my previous job, there was a little bit of micromanaging. So it's not something that I'm used to, but I wouldn't say that I prefer it. 
and they were just like, okay, you know, making note of it and stuff like that. So then um, I got called for the third interview. I went in and the direct supervisor met me at the door so she could take me to the president. And she kind of gave me like a pep talk before they brought anybody in. And she was like, I just want you to know that he is very hard to read. You might feel like this is the worst interview of your life, but really you did amazing. And she was like, when I interviewed with him, he made me cry. It was that bad. And she was like, but I got a call later that day that I got the job. Don't let it affect you. And I felt like she took a personal liking to me because we shared similar backgrounds. We went to the same college, you know, similar sport activities, same interests. So I, I felt like she just connected with me right away and she was really pushing for me to be the one to get the job. The first red flags came during the interview process, but they were hard to see behind the luxurious aesthetics of the office and the fake sincerity from Gwen's future supervisor. If anyone makes you cry in an interview, they'll definitely make you cry once you've become an employee. And a leader will never make you cry. First, I go in there and the CFO comes in first. He was super talkative. He was from a hometown near mine. So we were talking about that. Um, we were talking just about a, a lot about like culture, what I expect out of a company, what they expect from their employees, what works best for both parties in this situation so that you're both getting, you know, the full advantage here. So I felt like it went really, really well. But then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like anticipating this to be like, okay, here comes the boom with the with the next person. And so the president comes in and I think they had printed off my resume or I brought a copy of my resume. So, you know, he was going through it. He asked very basic questions, but I could feel like a very disconnect. He wasn't really fully there. Um, it didn't really seem like he was even really listening to what I was saying. So I could tell just by what I was previously told, like, don't take it personal. Don't think you're doing bad. Um, it's just how he is as a person. So I, I felt like I just kind of wrote it off as such. And then, then the next day I got a call. They invited me to coffee instead of just offering me the job over the phone. They said they like to do that stuff in person to make it more special for them. So I went to breakfast with my direct supervisor and the HR director. Um, they offered me the job, presented me my contract. And I took it like very like, oh, they're personable. They want you to feel like you're wanted. Like we really want you to work for us kind of thing. So I was like really taken back by that. The way Gwen's supervisors made her feel was strategic and far from genuine. They made her feel special as though she was accepted to this exclusive company. But the flattery would die at the interview process and the warm welcome would quickly fade once Gwen became acclimated. So then, you know, I put my two weeks in at my job, was super, super excited to start at the new place. What seemed like was going to be all, you know, sunshines and rainbows and super great place to work, somewhere I could see myself long term, turned very, very, very quickly. My first week there, I felt like it was on cloud nine. They took me to lunch every day. They just like, it, it was a small team, but because it was three companies in one, there was, a, you know, a lot of other people that sat by me and stuff like that. So I felt like everyone was like, oh, who are you? Like, I want to get to know you. Like, everyone felt super friendly. Where I sat, there was some – it wasn't like traditional cubicles. Like, you almost shared a desk with someone. It was just like a long desk. Um, So someone sat right next to me, and she was on the team as well. Me and her clicked right away, and 
it just seemed like everyone was super, super nice and so easy to get along with that like everything seemed so perfect at first. And I remember on my first day, they threw me into stuff right away, like very basic stuff, but they were like, here's a stack of files. We need you to go through this and start entering data. They would let you know like, hey, like we do different activities for our employees. So like at lunchtime, we offer workout classes. And then after work, we also offer classes that, you know, you could take advantage of and um, we like to do outings as a group. So like we'll go to dinner, like all the girls would go to dinner. I just felt like it was very at home kind of place. And they put a huge emphasis on like, we want you to be relaxed here to the point where like they had vending machines that you could just dispense beer out of. And they had beer on tap. They had like areas that you could go and it was like a luau area. So you could just like sit in um, in like swing chairs and just like super relaxed. They were like, yeah, like, look how cool this is. And, you know, they would show you, like, look, you can drink beer on the job. Like, we're, we're that relaxed of a place. And that, like, lunchtime and stuff like that, like, people wouldn't leave to go to lunch. They would stay at the facility because they would be playing, like, volleyball or basketball or, uh, they would all be sitting in, like, the, um, in the gymnasium and they would be drinking or, you know, just, like, hanging out as a huge group, which was something, like, I was not used to at all coming from my previous job. Like, we took lunch at different times, so I never ate with anybody. I, I feel like they really tried to, like, paint this picture, like, look how great it is here. Like, we are a big family. We want you to enjoy yourself while you're here, so have a beer. This place sounds amazing. A beer dispensary machine? Volleyball at lunch? It sounds like they know how to have a fun time, and they don't take things too seriously. But Gwen would soon realize that the culture here was far from laid back. There were groups that were clicky, and it felt like high school. And her supervisor that seemed to be her advocate during the interview was a fair-weather friend who was only nice when she needed something and wouldn't hesitate to make herself look good at the expense of others. As nice as they were on your first week, you know, your first day, maybe your second week, you could tell how clicky they were and they were always together and not very welcoming to others. When it came down to like long term, like they would stop saying hi to you every day or they would go to lunch together but never tell anybody else kind of thing like that. It, it felt very like high schoolish at times, like, oh, these are the popular people and you're just kind of to the side. So it ended up just being like me and one other person. And I feel like it was really easy for me at that point to like point out, oh, this is what's wrong with the company. Like this is really toxic. This is not okay kind of stuff because they start to pick up on it. You start to pick up on it. You're constantly talking about it. Gwen's supervisor was also part of the phoniness that ensued amongst employees. So I feel like at first I thought she was the nicest person in the world, but then you know, I started to see where the turn was because I feel like she was the type of person where she would just like, she would say anything to kiss your ass and for you to like her, like anything that she could connect with you on to make you feel like you were close. She did. But then the second it came to like, somebody needed to be thrown under the bus, she's throwing you under kind of thing. So I, at first I was like, wow, she's a great boss. Like it's so easy to talk to her. She's so understanding. Like she just gets it kind of thing. There was no like fear there. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like it's easy to be a little intimidated by your supervisors, your boss and stuff like that. But it was it was so easy to talk to her at first, it seemed. And then, you know, you slowly start to see the fakeness of it. Like it's all for a purpose. At first it was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, it was really easy to fall into that with her. But then you start to see the dark side of her or how she was treating other people. And I was like, 
oh, wow, like I never would have thought you would be that type of person to do that. There was the office assistant. She was directly under the president. So that's really who she worked hand in hand with. But she would do like all his odd end stuff, anything that he needed. But if another department needed help and she had downtime, she would help out. So she would do some stuff for us, even though she wasn't technically working for our company. And I remember one time, you know, something came up and she couldn't, she didn't have time to do what we needed her to do. So she passed it back to me. And it was something that I had never done before. So, you know, I took it to my direct supervisor and she just immediately cussed out this girl. And to the point where this girl was like, I will never talk to her again. I had never seen that side of, like, I would have never thought somebody couldn't go to her and be like, hey, I wasn't able to finish this. Is it okay if I have an extension or, you know, something like that? But it was like immediately like, no how dare you cuss her out in front of everyone too. And, you know, partially I felt like, is this my fault? Because I went to her like, I'm not sure how to do this. Like, can you just show me really quick and I'll, I can take care of it. No problem. I felt like it was my fault. The girl was really offended by it just because she felt like she was helping us out. Like it wasn't something that was in her job title and her job description. This wasn't supposed to be a forever thing. It was just, you know, as I have downtime, I can help you out. But if I don't have downtime, then it's not something that's on like on the top of my list to do. Nothing screams lack of teamwork like cussing out an employee. This is verbal abuse and abuse of her title as a supervisor. The company allows supervisors to treat their direct reports and other employees of perceived lower ranking with blatant disrespect. The tone always comes from the top, so if the owner treats others with disrespect, it will trickle down through the company. On top of being a bully, Gwen's supervisor was a workaholic and used that as a sort of badge of honor. The company condoned this by leaving departments understaffed, which left employees no choice but to work extra hours. Once COVID hit and we were working from home, she made it a point every single day because we had to have morning meetings about what we were working on, what was our day going to look like, how much time were we going to spend on each thing that we had on our list of things to do. And she would always make it a point to be like, oh, yeah, I was up till midnight. I was doing this. I was taking calls till seven o'clock. But you choose to do that at the same time. Nobody's asking you to do that. Me and my other coworker, we would always say that because, you know, we constantly felt like we were understaffed. And we would always say, like, the more you do and the more you're picking up and putting on your plate when you don't have enough time to do this in a day, they're not ever going to hire. They're not going to see the need to hire someone else. So it's just going to constantly keep falling on you. And then it's going to trickle down to us. And then what? Like, you're, you're not helping the team here. You're not helping yourself. With the understaffing and overloading of work, it was easy for people to get overwhelmed and fingers would be pointed. None of the managers were willing to take accountability, so issues would go unresolved and would occur repeatedly without a solution. I feel like it was very easy for all of them to point the finger. So it was me and my coworker and then everybody else whether they were really a manager or not, had the title of manager in their job description. So I feel like it was really easy for them to be like, oh, well, this person didn't do that. And it always came back to me and my coworker all the time. And it was things where it was lack of communication. Like, I never knew I was supposed to be doing this. The more that her and I are picking up on this, we are speaking out about it. But then it it just kind of goes in a circle. You speak up about it. You feel like there's going to be a resolution. You talk about a resolution, but then nothing ever comes of it. 
And it's just the continuous wheel over and over again. Same problems kind of just snowballing at that point because they become bigger and bigger and bigger. I feel like my coworker got a really hard hand in that because of one of the sales managers. He would just constantly push work onto her. And it was simple stuff that he could do himself, but he never did it before. He would flat out say like, this is something I never did. Someone always did it for me and I'm not going to start today. When I was there, we were implementing a new system for it to be easier on not only the accounting people, the portfolio people, but everyone across the board. So it was supposed to be where, you know, you're taking on these responsibilities again and he would just flat out refuse. When an organization's managers aren't held accountable, it's almost always because the person at the top doesn't take accountability. I asked Gwen about the owner and how he played a part into the toxicity of this company. She said he was basically clueless about the day-to-day operations. He had no idea how to communicate any kind of strategy and micromanaged the entire company during COVID by making everyone record their every move minute by minute. He was a very hands-off person. If you were trying to talk to him about the specifics of something within the job, he had no idea what you were talking about. But then he would come to you and be like, why aren't you reporting to me on this? And you're like, well, you know, last time I was giving you updates, like you didn't even respond to my email or it's not something I was told I was supposed to report to you on kind of thing. So it always felt like he was hovering over you and like, what are you doing? How are you using the company's time? But he never actually knew what was going on. Like if he were to ask you like, what are you working on? And you went into detail, he would have no idea what you're talking about or where it even begins kind of thing. And I think part of it too was that he had a very hard time with confrontation, but to certain people. So For example, like when we all started working from home, there was people that were not available when he needed to talk to them. So instead of sitting that person down saying, hey, I've tried to reach out to you a few times and you're not, you know, you're away on teams or I'm emailing you about stuff and I'm never hearing back, like what's going on? Like we need to make sure that you're staying on top of stuff and that if I'm coming to you with something, I expect a 24 hour notice kind of thing. Instead, it turned into a group meeting of how do you spend your day down to the minute I need an Excel spreadsheet of it, every single person. And at that time, you know, during COVID, we were lucky enough that we never slowed down. We actually picked up a lot because of our portfolio. So we never slowed down. So at that time, we're all picking up extra hours to stay on top of stuff or to get ahead or be able to stay afloat. And now we have to spend time out of my day to write minute by minute what I do and how long it should take me to do that task. You know, at that point, my direct supervisor is like, make up stuff. I don't want him to see that you have even a minute of downtime because then he's going to start cutting people. The owner used a fear-based style of management. He was unpredictable, uncommunicative, and showed little to no emotion, so he was hard to read. He had no trust in his people. Gwen said when they were in the office, he would helicopter around all day looking over shoulders and asking people at random what they were doing. And it was one of those things where he made it a point to the team and you start questioning. You're like, oh my, am I doing something wrong? Like, because he won't come out and say like, hey, like we need to talk. It's you that's the problem kind of thing. And because he's such a hard person to read, you never know when, when he's speaking to you, like the tone of his voice. Is he mad? Like, how are you supposed to take this kind of thing? I don't feel like he was very personable or very understanding in that matter. Like when it got to that point, he was just a dick. Like he was so, so, so rude. And 
it wasn't something that I wasn't used to. I was just kind of surprised by it because in the office, he would just do laps around the floor and he would like look over your cubicle like, what are you doing? He would not never say anything. He wouldn't even say good morning to you. He wouldn't say hello to you. He would just walk. He would walk in front of your desk. He'd walk behind your desk. He'd walk out of the room. He'd come in from the other door and he would just do that all day long. And people used to joke. They would be like, you know, oh, he's taking his fifth lap of the day. Like no joke. I counted one time and he did 25 laps in one day like before lunch. It becomes very uncomfortable because one, he's not even talking to you. Like president of the company, face of this company, can't even say hello to his employees. But then he's just like hovering over your desk. Like, what are you doing? Gwen's company was part of a family of companies that were owned by the owner and his brothers. Gwen says she never experienced anything firsthand, but the word around the office was that the brothers were highly competitive and didn't get along. They came from a sales background and favored the salespeople within the company. She said they were only nice when they needed something. The salesperson for my team, he had been there since the very beginning of the company when the dad had it, and he would always tell stories like, oh, um, you know, this brother never used to be this way. But, you know, the older he got, you could tell, like, there was issues with his family at home. And then he would kind of, like, trickle into stories about that or, like, how they would, like, literally fist fight at work and just how they interacted with each other when they were in the office. And you would catch, like, a quick glimpse. Like, they were brothers, but you would never know that. You would have thought that they were just, like, random associates, people that just happened to meet each other on the job kind of thing. I went to like a work Christmas party with a bunch of the girls. Somebody that had previously worked there was there. And she was like, I cannot stand that family. And she started going into detail about how they got into a huge screaming match, like in front of everyone, like in the hall. Because it was a very like uh, open layout to where like everyone was with each other. Like I said, three companies mingled into one work area, depending on your department. But yeah, she she was like, I will never respect them. Like I have nothing but bad things to say about them. And this was still early on. I got hired in September. This was in December. I only experienced one thing the whole time that I worked there. And it was that there was this constant rivalry between the brothers. Like, oh, my side's doing better than your side is. Or during COVID, because one brother's company is doing really good while the other is laying people off. Well, we're saving you now. So you owe me kind of thing. Like, I'm not sure how it was before the brothers started running things when it was just the dad, but they all came from a very heavy sales background. You do have to have a personality for that. And I feel like that kind of spoke to the type of people that they were. Like they are so genuine when they need something and when it's beneficial for them. But behind closed doors, they're so dirty. Like they can be very, very, very dirty, very nasty, say very crazy things. But you know, at the end of the day, it's always to get what they want, what they need. However many extra commas are going to be in their check kind of thing. I felt like you could definitely tell that was the mentality. They always put a heavy emphasis on the sales team and anybody that worked in sales. They were always way closer with those people. And I feel like that's just where they connected most. This company leases IT equipment to other businesses. Gwen says that they would knowingly charge customers the monthly lease payment long after the lease agreement had expired. And then they'd send a buyout notice letter without applying the extra payments that were made. Everything was leased. And then at the end of your lease, you have the option to buy it out or pay month to month. So they would get people to pay month to month and then charge them for years after 
even though that they didn't know anything at that point, they should have owned the equipment. It would come back and, you know, they had paid more than enough on it, but they would be like, let's send them a buyout quote and see what else we could get. And it was always the president and the sales manager. They were always on the same page about it. And then you'd get the controller involved and he'd be on the same page about it. And and me, my coworker would always say, how do you sleep at night knowing that? You're literally robbing people at this point. There would be people that came back and that's where it would always fall on my coworker to deal with. So people would be cussing her out and she has to play along with it to be on the same page as everybody. You know, she's like, I'll, I'll talk to our sales manager and he'll give you a call. Cause she's like, I can't, I can't vouch for this anymore. Like there's only so much I can say for them to be like, no, this isn't right. Something's off. Something's wrong. Like something's not adding up here. The owner and the sales manager were being shady to customers and then expecting Gwen's coworker to save face for the company and handle the customer complaints. So basically having her lie on their behalf. This is abuse of power. They're taking advantage of their position to have her coworker cover up their deceit. The owner is not a trustworthy guy. So naturally, he didn't trust his employees. He wasn't involved in day-to-day operations other than helicoptering around, causing employees to walk on eggshells. He also didn't follow any processes or procedures. And when things would go wrong, he was quick to point fingers and not take accountability. There was an instance where I had sent him an expense report and he didn't send it back. It went on for a little bit where, you know, I I continued to send it. I never got an email response. And then um, he asked if we could have a meeting to go over it because there was things that he had questions on. And I was like, yeah, you know, let me know what time works for you. I don't have visibility to your calendar, but, you know, I'm an open book. I can do whatever. No response. And then one day he comes to my desk, doesn't say hello. He's just... Uh, we still haven't talked about the expense reports. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't have visibility to your calendar, so I don't know what works for you. I, you know, I did say that in an email, but let me know and I'll put it on my calendar and send you an invite. Uh, so we set a date. I want to say maybe it was like two, three days after that talk. Uh, so I go into the meeting. I'm so nervous because he's just so uncomfortable to be around and talk to. Like you never know what type of mood you're going to get with him. So I walk into the meeting and he is in the conference room with another manager on our team. He was like, oh, you know, just just give me the paperwork and I'll look over it. I'm like, okay, all this, we have to have a meeting. We have to go over expense reports. And now you're just blowing me off. I'm like, whatever. So I hand him the papers and uh, he comes back and he goes, the charges on there from the hotel aren't mine. And I was like, okay, at this point, it's almost like a month and a half later we've already paid the credit card bill. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I take it to my boss and I'm like, you know, uh, president said these aren't from him. Um, but I don't have access to the credit card login. Like, are you able to look into this? So he looks into it, turns out that it's fraud. So I take it to the president. I'm like, um, you know, we're working on this cause I, I'm just trying to keep him in the loop cause he's, you know, at this point he wants to be so hands-on. So, I tell him, I'm like, we're working on this. We think it was fraudulent charges. Um, I don't have access to the login, so um, my supervisor is handling it right now. And he was like, just for future reference, we need to be better about timing on these things because this has gone on for way too long. And he's like getting super stern with me at this point. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it was you. I'm sending you emails. I'm making meetings so you can talk about this stuff with me. And you blew me off every single time. You dropped the ball here, not me. And just how quick he was to be like, you need to be better. This can't happen in the future. This is unacceptable kind of thing. Well, and it's very hard too when I'm doing expenses for him 
but he's allowed to um, make expenses for all three companies. So not not necessarily everything falls into the company that I do for. It might fall under one of the other two, and now I have to separate all those charges out. And it wasn't uncommon that him and his wife go all these places. They're constantly taking ski trips. They're constantly at the country club. Their kids are constantly at the country club. So they're, they have a, um, you know, a vacation home in another state. So a hotel charge to me, it's like, okay, he went out. And at first I remember thinking like, you know, it's weird that it was so many charges in a row, but here I am sending it to him so he can tell me, hey, was this you or not? Like, how am I supposed to know what he does on a daily basis, especially on the weekends kind of thing? Like, how would I know? Gwen dealt with this kind of behavior, not just from the owner, but from all managers of the company. The employees that stay and get promoted within a toxic workplace are oftentimes promoted to managerial positions because they've been with the company for so long. High turnover pushes out the more qualified candidates, allowing someone with poor people skills or zero soft skills to land in a job where they're managing others. This in turn adds to the toxicity. After being with the company and playing the politics and learning their role from the inside out, it makes them irreplaceable. So even though they're a horrible manager to their team, they become untouchable. This was the case for Gwen's supervisor's boss, who she eventually ended up reporting to after there was a structure shift. It was known by everybody that he was, you know, not a good boss, not somebody that you could talk things through with. And I felt like, you know, working there after so long that he's been there for so long because he's managed to work his way up. He's in a leader position now and he's made things work where only he knows how to do it. And now they rely on him too much and they can't get rid of it. Even though like the one program that we use, it was so messy and he was the only person that knew how to do anything in it and all the random bugs and stuff that it would come up with. And he was the only person that knew how to fix it. But they've spent so much money into putting into this program, they can't get rid of it now and they can't get rid of him because he's the only one that knows how to use it. The managers here rarely gave any feedback or positive reinforcement, probably because they never received any from the top And, well, misery loves company. Gwen says she felt like her work was never good enough because there was never any real feedback on her performance. I definitely do better. Not that I can't take constructive criticism, but I like to hear that I'm doing a good job. And you never, ever heard that from upper management, ever. When I first started, I never touched anything accounting. But within the few months that I was there, eventually I started taking on bigger roles, bigger projects, more responsibilities, and I felt like it was never good enough. I just wasn't worthy kind of thing. And how they handled COVID was absolutely terrible. They let us work from home, but then everything became even more micromanaged than we already were. So morning meetings, super detailed about what you're doing down to the minute every single day. And then a super heavy push on, okay, well, we're keeping track of the numbers, but we're really trying to bring you guys back. They wanted us back as soon as possible. So I don't even think we were home for four months at the most. And then we went back and they kept saying, we're just not that type of environment. We've never been a work from home type of place. We like to have things in the office so we feel like we know what's going on. But it's really just because they wanted everything under their noses. He wanted to be able to walk around the floor and see that people were working. After going back after COVID, it just became very clear, like, this is very toxic. And that's when I started to know stuff that was like personally happening to me that I was like, 
I can't do this anymore. Like no matter what I do, no matter how much work I'm putting in, no matter how much effort I'm putting into a certain project, it's never enough. It's never good enough. Like I just feel like I can't do good in these people's eyes. I feel like all I did was complain about my job. All I talked about was how much I hated being there and I wasn't doing anything about it. I just continued to complain and continue to deal with it. And especially at that time too, because it was me and my coworker both feeling this way. And we kept talking about how much we hated this person and what this person did today that pissed us off. And, oh, can you believe this happened now? Like it was just one thing after the next. And it was every single day. Like it it wasn't that one day was better than another day. It was every single day that I went in there. I hated working there. I couldn't stand being around anybody. Like it was just so toxic. So, so toxic. It's frustrating when you're in a job that has become progressively miserable. The misery sort of snowballs and you quickly feel stuck without a game plan. You roll out of bed every morning and muster up all the energy you have to pull yourself together and head into the doors of a place that completely drains you. Once you've cracked the toxicity code of a company, it seems like everything about the company is toxic. This is what was happening for Gwen. She knew she was miserable and in a place that didn't respect or value her. She knew she had to get out. Why would I stay at a job where I'm constantly micromanaged? I'm being forced to come into the office because you want everything right under your nose. So you feel like you have absolute control over it. As unfortunate as COVID was, I feel like it really brought out the worst in people even more. Because like you see how easy and like versatile it is for people to work from home now. And then you have people that are like, oh, absolutely not. We're not budging on that. And it's like why? Like, this is the way that the world is going. Working from home for the short four months that the company allowed, Gwen had a realization that this company would never change. She sent out her resume and landed an accounting role at a well-respected nonprofit. She was relieved when she put in her two weeks notice. Because I was split between two bosses, I told both of them at the same time. And my previous boss was like, oh, you know, I'm so happy for you. What's your new company? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day she was like, okay, we're going to have a meeting to talk about who's going to take over your responsibilities when you're gone. And we went into the meeting and she was like, yeah, I looked up the company. Like, I looked up your job title. I looked up everything about the company. It was very like, yeah, I, I did I did my research on them. Like, it was more like, oh, that's where you're going kind of thing. Like, I don't think she like meant to be, but she came off very like, oh, you're leaving, fuck you kind of thing. The president didn't say a word to me the entire time. My very last day, he goes, can I see you in the conference room? And I'm like sweating bullets at this point. I'm like, what is he going to say to me? And he's like asking about my new position. What am I going to be doing there? How did I find this position? Like why it came about? If I wanted to come back, the door's always open. I'm like, "Is this? are you saying something nice? Like I've never heard you compliment me before. Like, even a little bit, but he never asked why, like why I wanted to leave or, you know, did something happen that I was wanting to leave? I asked Gwen about her new company and she says she feels she found a place where she feels valued and can grow in her career. It's such like a refreshing start. It's still early for me, but I truly cannot say anything negative. Like there's not something that I've been like, oh wow, like taken back by. And I feel like at both of my jobs, It was something within the first three months that I was like, oh, shit, like, what is going on here kind of thing that I picked up on. But here, like, it, it's such a breath of fresh air. And I feel like my boss treats me as so much like an equal and not like, 
I'm your boss kind of thing. Like she's, she wants to be my mentor. Like she wants to teach me. She wants to give me all these responsibilities. Like she wants me to grow with the company just as she is kind of thing. And it's very, very evident in the interview. I could tell that it was just way more like true blue people. Like you, you saw their true colors from the beginning. There wasn't like any hidden surprises. I feel like I should have known from the beginning at my previous job that they were like, by the way, when you go into your third interview, this guy is a total asshole, but don't be afraid of him. Like, that should have been like a what the fuck? Like, why am I even trying to work here? But everything else just glossed over that. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, okay, it's just one of those things that you're going to have to swallow. There's going to be places where you work and you're not going to like absolutely everything about it. Maybe this is one of those kind of things. But these people that, you know, for my new job now, I, I feel like they're just what you see is what you get with them. Like there's no hidden surprises. Everything's right there. They're way more understanding about things. A company that truly cares about its employees really is a breath of fresh air. The best leaders know that empowering others and fostering their personal and professional growth is the only way to create a work environment that is productive, enjoyable, and allows prosperity. As human beings, we are all searching for fulfillment for a purpose. Spending the majority of your waking hours at work shouldn't make you feel depressed or moody on a daily basis. Hopefully, more companies will start to understand this and we can change the way we function in the workplace. Next time on Toxic Workplace. Maybe it'll change. Maybe in time things will change. I still had a small inkling of hope that things could change. They had no respect for me, zero respect. And I would second guess my gut reaction to be like, wait, this is bullshit. And then I would second guess myself and be like, it's just me, I'm totally oversensitive and I'm reading into things too much. There weren't neon signs with arrows pointing me to this is who you should speak with when you're getting sexually harassed and discriminated against at work. I didn't know where to turn. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do you have a story you'd like to share on our show? Go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Fill out the submission information and we'll be in contact. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the privacy of the company and its employees. We look forward to hearing from you.